Regina Celi, letare, alleluia. Quia quem meruisti portare, alleluia. Resurrexit sicut dixit, alleluia. Ora pro nobis Deum, alleluia. Gaudet et letare, Virgo Maria, alleluia. Quia serexit nominis veri, alleluia. Oremos. Deus qui per resurrectionem filii tui, Domini nostri, Jesu Christi, mundum leptificare dignatus es, presta caesumus, ut per eius gindatricem Virgine Mariam perpetue capiamus gaudia vitae, per eundum Christum Domini nostrum. Amen. Well, I want to welcome you all to another Daily Decade. I tried to do this reading yesterday and did a little bit of... Uh, I did a recording and the sound quality was just not there. There was a lot of scratching and a lot of popping and a lot of hissing going on in the background, probably from my speakers, though I'm not sure why. Uh, and I hope that I'll fix the problem now. That's what I'm trying to do anyway. I just tested that recording and all the popping and crackling and hissing that I heard at the beginning of the recording yesterday was not there. So hopefully the rest of this recording will come out clear. But I want to beg your forgiveness for how late this is going to be today, much later than it usually is, uh, or has been, as I've been doing it over the past week. I've been trying to get it out there early in the morning so that everybody has, uh, uh, has it in the, in the beginning of the day. But this one will have to be published late in the day. I wanted to make sure something got published today because we had a very special intention that was sent in, and I wanted that intention to be heard. Uh, we had someone who was writing from somewhere that is further beyond the bounds of where I could ever hope that my voice would have carried and that this rosary would have carried. Uh, we had a listener write in from China who... Uh, is in a very difficult situation because he's coming into the faith and he's in a place where he cannot find uh, a sizable congregation of people who are similarly uh, inclined. And, and as I can imagine, that would be very difficult. For his well-being and, and for his privacy, I, I'm not going to say his name uh, and I'm not even really going to give any more background on him than what I've already given but I would like to pray for him and for his intention, which is both that he would find a community that he can belong to and for all of the people in China. And in fact, I think it's very appropriate for us to pray for the conversion of China in general, as we once prayed for the conversion of Russia, and in many ways can still pray for the conversion of Russia. For so many of the Russian people still have so many vestiges of the uh, evil system under which they once uh, were belabored in delusion. While many of them now confess to be Christians, nevertheless the widespread veneration of Joseph Stalin, who is an anti a precursor of the Antichrist par excellence, is still very widespread. And that's a, that is a, a major stumbling block for those people. They are having a difficulty separating their faith from their nationality, something that many people do have difficulty with. Uh, that's, of course, not to say that we shouldn't value our nationality. I've talked about that before, so I don't have to worry about anyone thinking I've suddenly gone hard left on that question. 
Whatever the case may be, I want to pray for him. And I encourage everyone, this is a heavy devotion, this is a heavy intention, but I encourage everyone to send in intentions, no matter how heavy or how light they are. It delights me to pray for people, and it delights the Lord to hear us pray for other people, to approach him with surety that he alone can address our our concerns, solve our problems, answer our prayers. He alone has the power to strengthen all of us. And so, if you have an intention, no matter what it is, go ahead and write in to requests at protonmail.com. That's Deckett, D-E-C-A-D-E, requests in the plural at protonmail.com. And I'll be happy to read you your intention on the broadcast here and have everybody in the audience pray for you. Now, if you don't send in an alias or identify yourself with a name by which you'd like to be known, I will leave you anonymous for your own privacy's sake. I know that what we're doing here is not technically illegal, and really it would be difficult to get someone fired from their job right now for writing into a Catholic broadcast, but the time may soon be coming when it's a prudent thing to do. When we have to stand up and be martyrs, we have the courage to stand up and be martyred. But that doesn't mean necessarily to not take precautions in the meantime. So if, uh, if you hear someone being prayed for here, and I don't give a name, please do remember them in your daily prayers as someone known but to God, and to themselves, of course. For right now, let's go ahead and pray for our brother in Christ in China, that he find himself a community that he may be a part of, and pray generally for the conversion of all the Chinese people, that they might come to the faith in which there is the only salvation any man of any race can ever hope for. Uh, Today is a Thursday, so we will be praying in English today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, 
Pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, weeping and mourning from this veil of tears. Turn then, O gracious Advocate, thine eyes of mercy unto us. And after this, our exile, shew unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ, thy Son, was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Francis Xavier, who sought to bring the faith to the eastern lands. We ask thy intercession on behalf of a servant of God who seeks other Christians that he might come into the fullness of the church militant and might with his newfound co comrades dwell in the presence of Christ. For our Lord has said Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there am I also. St. Francis, with all of the great saints of thy order, approach our Lord, seated upon his glorious throne, and implore his mercy upon this servant, and upon all of the people of China, that they might turn to God and convert in heart away from the errors of their government and away from the errors 
of a materialistic society and that they might find truth and finding truth might dwell therein. O Blessed Mother, Mother of all nations, look favorably upon the Chinese people and intercede that the grace of the Holy Ghost might come to rest upon them or at least upon as many of them as, need, as are needed to bring the people to God. And in thy compassion, which is truly limitless, also may this servant of God, who seeks to join the church militant, find favor. And finding favor with you, find favor with thy Son, our God and Lord. We ask this in the name of the same, Jesus Christ, who liveth and reigneth with God the Father and the Holy Ghost the Paraclete, one God, world without end. Amen. For all of us in our daily struggles, great and small, St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Most Sacred Heart of Jesus, have mercy on us. Most Sacred Heart of Jesus, have mercy on us. Most Sacred Heart of Jesus, thy kingdom come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Well, there, that seemed to come out a little bit better based on now I've been tracking it as I've been recording it all the way through. I should probably do this all the time. It just takes a little longer to record. But today, and it, it was really my intention to talk about this this morning, um, which by that I mean talk about it yesterday afternoon since I have been doing the recordings in the afternoon previous, or I've just started doing that, and yesterday was only the second time I'd done it, well, perhaps I'm getting a message that I shouldn't be doing that. Whatever the case may be, we have a sort of theme going this week about prayer. We've talked about how to pray, where to pray, uh, the space and mind where you should be when you pray in your mind as well as physically, but there's one subject that doesn't get too much coverage from anybody. In fact, I don't know that I've heard a sermon on it or really heard anybody talk about it at all, and that is the subject of for whom we ought to pray. Uh, seems rather obvious, I suppose that's why nobody talks about it. You think to yourself, well, obviously I know who I should pray for. I have intentions to bring before God. But there are many times, and I have certainly have fallen into this, where we catch ourselves praying and we realize that we can't remember the last time that we prayed for anything that was anyone or anything that didn't relate directly to ourselves. It's part of the reason why I'm so earnest in asking people for prayers. It offers me an opportunity to pray for other people and things that are not bound up in my own concerns. And so it's a, a great gift when I'm able to find something else to bring before the throne. But I have been thinking about all of the things that we could pray for that are not us and things that we should pray for that are not us. And the scripture gives us a few ideas as to what to do, and the church as well. There are really four things 
if you boil it all down, that scripture talks about us praying for, people praying for, obviously for ourselves. That's something that happens in the Psalms and really throughout scripture. Christ tells us when ye pray, pray thus. And the Lord's Prayer itself is a prayer that is very much focused on our own needs. It also prays for uh, those who trespass against us, so our enemies are in there, but by and large it's focused on us. But there are four other categories of people that we are called to pray for, both in the scripture and throughout the early uh, writings of the church, and really by the church at large as well. Uh, and those four different categories of people that we should pray for, and uh, I guess institutions in the, in the broad sense of the word, but since a man can be both a man and an institution when he's in power, uh, we're called upon to pray for for them. And the first one is, well, of course, Christ says to Peter, I have prayed for thee that thy faith not fail, or that my thy faith faileth not. I'm misremembering exactly what the quotation is. And there are interpretations, of course, that when Christ says this, he's speaking to all the apostles. But in either case, Christ has prayed and gives us the example of prayer for the leadership of the church. And that's broadly, I think, that can be read and accepted by anybody, regardless of what your definition of the church is, whether you are a member of the church, the church, the Roman Catholic Church or not. Broadly speaking, we can say with some measure of definitiveness that Christ is telling us to pray for the leaders of the church. And they certainly do need those prayers. And so there's the leadership of the church to pray for. There's, and with them, there's the elders of the church. And then there's the, the call to, to love one another. And therefore to pray for one another as the broad church militant, as part of a single category, as part of a single body. And this is a little bit more apparent in the epistles. There's uh, one of my favorite passages in the epistle uh, to Timothy is, uh, I think it's in the first chapter, in fact, where he sa the apostle says that a man who uh, careth not for his own, especially those of his own house, has forsaken the faith and is worse than an infidel. So we're called by God to take care of those that are close to us, those who belong to our own people. In that passage, it's important he does make a distinction. Those of his, those of his own, especially those of his own household. Now, in those days, of course, a household would be much larger than just your nuclear family as we know it now. It's not just you know, the, the, the sort of middle class father, mother, son, daughter, you know, other, other half a child and a dog. Isn't that right? Two and a half children? I think we're down to one and a half children in the United States now. But it's your standard family is a man, a woman, two and a half children, and their pets. Well, that's not the household of St. Paul's time, or St. Timothy's time, for that matter. Their household would be much larger. It could include multiple generations, and often did. It included all their slaves and servants. And actually, that household existed up until the lifetime of many of our grandparents. I, my own grandparents-in-law were uh, both born in the 
uh, at the turn of the, of the last century, and they, they had a cook and a maid uh, in their house. And they lived a fairly middle-class existence. It's something that seems very odd to most of us, but it was well within the reach of people in the middle class to afford that. And the middling sort taken as the sort of average in the American uh, mind. But they had access to those things. Their household was much larger than just mom and dad and sister and brother and Fido. And so when he talks about his own household, that's broadly his family, the family unit in an extended sense, almost even a small portion of the, of the clan, of the, you know, you have clan, tribe, nation. Well, a good sizable portion of the clan lived in one household in ancient times. Oftentimes, sometimes you'd have multiple brothers and sisters with their own families living in a broad, uh, in a sort of broad, I hate to use the word complex, but exactly that. Uh, especially in, maybe not in the cities, but especially in the countryside. So Paul separates these, the apostle separates these between a man's own and, and those of his own house. Well, who can his own be but members of his own broader tribe, his ethnicity? And in Greece, especially at that time, the ethnoi uh, had their own, sort of their own entities. You would have Sarmatians and Scythians and Greeks, Attic Greeks, uh, Peloponnese. I don't know that they really were Peloponnese, but they thought of themselves as Peloponnese, as Spartans. Sparta had long since vanished as an independent culture, but the people certainly still had an identity there. And Paul talks about them separately as someone that a man should care for, should take provision for, should provide for his own. And so it seems that what greater provision is there that we can provide for someone than by approaching the throne of God in their name and praying for them? So obviously we pray for our own, for our own households, our own families, our own nations, even perhaps our own races, if you extend the, uh, if you want to extend the family that far, and what it means to be our own. What is our community? So now we have the leadership of the church, and that means all of our elders and priests and monks and confessors. And we have our own, our people. And from there, who else do we have? Well, our own, we would hope, make up the church militant. And so do the leadership. They make up the church militant. But there's another body of the church as well that we're called to pray for, and that's the church suffering in purgatory. And the church makes a great uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? It, it's important to pray for the church suffering because they have, especially in this day and age. You know, I I live in the American South. I don't make any secret of that. And one of the things I've noticed as I drive about down here is I pass so many abandoned cemeteries, family cemeteries, most of them on farms that have been sold off to become subdivisions. I read somewhere once that. Uh, a subdivision is named for that which it destroys, and I suppose that's certainly true. I've seen so many different places named plantation that were on plant, what used to be a plantation, so I guess that's true. But I drive by these cemeteries, and even municipal cemeteries, and while the lawns are mowed because they have somebody out there to cut the grass, there's never any flowers on the graves. People don't seem to come by and tend to them. I know there's denominations that do, but it seems that the broader mass of people 
I just don't care for the dead anymore. And that's a reflection in part of the society we live in. It's not just low Protestants who are very, very far removed from the ancient practices of the faith, because high church Protestants certainly pray for the dead and take care of their graves. I've seen it elsewhere. But we also live in a culture in which the dead are simply forgotten. They're not really paid close attention to. Certain groups of people, of course, are allowed to celebrate their ancestors, but broadly people are not encouraged to do that. They're not really encouraged to remember anyone more than a generation back. And that's very unchristian. We're called to care for those that have gone before us because we exist not only on the horizontal bar of our own people and of the church militant now, but also on the vertical bar of the church suffering and those that have come before us, those that have, who have made us who we are now. People, and this is made clear in Mitbrennen der Sorge by uh, Pope uh, uh, Pius XI, when he talks about that there are worthy things to be proud of in one's people. Now, he warns against them becoming excessive, but he says that the pride in one's people is a worthy thing. And he's not the only one that says that. Pius IX says something similar and said something similar to the Italian nationalists. Pride in one's people is a worthy thing. For one comes from somewhere. And I've talked about how all of us have saints in our background somewhere. Just as much as we have, I'm sure that we have many people that have been damned in our background somewhere. But it falls to us because we can help them to help them not be damned. Our prayers entering eternity reach the eternal throne of the Father who perceives all things as one, at once, complete. We can pray for the dead, and our prayers have efficacy. We're taught that, both by the tradition of the Church as well as in Scripture, and I believe it's Second Maccabees. And so we pray for the Church suffering in purgatory as well. And that leaves us only one class of people for whom we ought to pray with some regularity, and that is our enemies. Christ makes this very clear. It's one of the few things that he says explicitly. Pray for this class. Pray for your enemies. Love those that hate you. Now, there are two classes of enemy. The first, and this is differentiated very clearly in Latin, first is the hostes, the enemy army, the barbarians arrayed against one's people that seek the destruction or defeat or submission of one's people. This is not the language that is used in scripture to refer to our enemies. Our enemies on the other, instead are inimicus. Now one of the things about hatred is that as the saying goes, familiarity breeds contempt. There's a famous story from a presidential election in the United States in the 20th century. It was between uh, Dewey and, uh, and Harry Truman. I forgot what Dewey's first name was. I think it was Christopher. It may have been John. No, it was John. It was John Dewey. That's right. Well, John Dewey was running on the Republican ticket, and Harry Truman was running on the Democratic ticket. And uh, Dewey was uh, slated in the polls to be very popular, and he it was so widely believed that he would defeat Truman. There's a famous photograph of Truman holding up the newspaper for the next day that says, Dewey defeats Truman, when, of course, Truman actually won the election. 
this was back in the days when there wasn't any kind of question about that sort of thing. And uh, someone had gotten the idea, one of the Democrat newspapers had gotten the idea to go and speak with some members of Mr. Dewey's family, and they had approached his mother-in-law in particular. And uh, she was not a fan of his, that's why they approached her. And they asked her why, what, what she could account for, or what could account for Dewey's tremendous popularity. And she responded, well, you have to get to know Mr. Dewey to really hate him. And uh, that's true. <laughs> you have to get to know people to really hate them. And you have to get to know people for them to really hate you, too. It's probably the people that we fight with the most that make up the bulk of our inimici are those that are closest to us in our own families or, in many cases, our spouses. Marriage is all about dealing with the faults of another and how they accentuate your own faults. Father Ripperger has a little talk about that. And so those that are close to us, that annoy us, that we have to deal with, they're another class of people for whom we have to pray and pray earnestly. Many of these people could be people that fall into one of the other categories. You have a bad priest who really gets under your skin. He could be an imicus. And he really needs your prayers. That's something we've talked about before. The leadership of the church is desperately in need of prayers. So many of them have gone so far astray. And in many cases, they don't come back in large part because people simply don't pray for them anymore. They write them off. These, are, these shepherds are wolves. They're hirelings. They've abandoned their flocks. Why should we give them anything? Well, it's true. They may be hirelings. And they certainly have abandoned their flocks. But is it the, isn't it the sick that need the physician? And these men are sick. Right all the way up to the Pope. There's a lot of sickness in the church. Well, if we don't call upon the physician to heal it and show definitively that we trust that he can, we're not doing much to solve the problems. The same thing is true of our enemies. You develop a relationship, an inimical relationship with someone, and you don't pray to God to heal that, or at least pray for their well-being, well, then that inimical relationship will simply fester. It won't bring anyone closer to Christ, and it could create in both of you a, uh, an opportunity for more failures and more falls. Nothing's worse than being the cause of someone else's sin. And so, my prayer today is for all of you, first of all, that you'll be guided by the Holy Ghost. And all of us will, not just you, but me, me too. That we'll all be guided by the Holy Ghost. To recognize in those moments when we have a hard time praying, that we will make a special intention for someone who needs those prayers, whether it's the leadership of the church, whether it's our family and friends, whether it's our enemies and our nemeses, or whether it's the poor souls in purgatory. And that the prayers that we make, even if they're just prayers that we've just thought of because we have nothing else to pray for, will be made more effective because we make them for others rather than for ourselves. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.